0: Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast, where the best PD happens in your backyard. Tonight, we have the Wikipedia article that you used for your research paper, Christopher Polson. The Wikipedia. And you know what, Vito, you're the really
1: smart student who went to the bottom of the Wikipedia page and found the true source. That's what you are. Vito McKenzie, the true source.
0: (laughs) You play... Too high, too high of a praise, my friend. I'm that link that goes nowhere on that article. That's, that's where it is. <laughs> How are we doing tonight, Chris?
1: I'm doing great, Vito. It is so good to be here on the show tonight. Really looking forward to it. How are you doing?
0: Oh, just wonderful. Just wonderful. We're, you know, back at it, back in the swing of things and rolling with this year and just, just lovely to be back and, and be with my students.
1: You know, Vito, at this point in the year, I was thinking to myself as we were coming in and summer was coming to the end, I kind of felt like, I kind of felt like I was doing a spacewalk without a tether and I was feeling a little lost. And, and to be honest with you, getting in the building, getting in front of the kids, I found my tether. I found my tether and it was in because, you know, the, the schools, educators out there who are listening, our, our, our friends out there, our, our listeners, we really make our schools our homes. And I feel this year, more than any year, it, it, that's, it, it's been really meaningful for me.
0: That's beautiful. And I, and I think I, we can all relate to that metaphor as well. There's so many educators I spoke of who just felt like, oh, this feels good to be back to where we need to be. But why are we talking? Hey, enough about us. Enough we about us. Ta- we could talk all night, but no one would listen. And we get so many complaints about that, especially tonight. Especially tonight. Chris, are you ready for tonight's guest? I don't, I don't even know if I am. You have, you, you
1: have not adequately, adequately prepared me.
0: I, I, I don't think I have. You can't hype this man enough. The, the, we have someone tonight with over 30 years of experience in education many roles including teacher school administrator superintendent of human resources superintendent of learning technologies associate director of education and currently is the director of education with the Ottawa catholic school board he's an award-winning educator has been recognized with the prime minister's award for teaching excellence and with canada's outstanding principal award also as a superintendent he received the exl award to recognize excellence among members of the superintendency. He has presented across Canada on the topics of educational technology and leadership in the 21st century. He's a Canadian co-lead for the New Pedagogies for Deep Learning, NPDL. Global partnership of over 1,500 schools across 12 countries, focused on practices to develop deep learning and the development of global competency. He also has an uh, Osgood certificate in education law, He is an off-ice official with the NHL, and prior to his career in education, was the general manager of Ottawa's professional soccer team, the Ottawa Intrepid, and also spent time as the general manager of Malcolm Cross Cultural Training. And I'm told every so often he goes home for dinner. Tonight on the show, we have Mr. Tom D'Amico.
2: Mr. Tom D'Amico, welcome to the show. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks, Vito and Chris, and you probably read that on Wikipedia, so you'll have to try and figure out which is true and which is not. But thanks for the introduction, happy to be here with you. Oh, We're really, so excited. excited.
0: So excited, and I, I don't think I, we could say enough, really, I, I, we could go on, but let's let you do the talking, because people are sick of us. So can you, can you tell us the story of what got you into education and led you onto the path where you are today?
2: I can, but I thought this was about the hockey season. We're going to talk school as well? All right, I'll start with the education part then. As
0: long as you mentioned the Leafs were okay, you can talk hockey.
2: <laughs> I'm neutral when it comes to all those teams. Uh, well, there is no typical path, I don't think, to becoming a director. And if there is, I certainly didn't follow it. Uh, when when I was growing up as a, as a young student, my passion was to play soccer. I had no interest in doing anything but being soccer as a, as a 17 and 18 year old. Uh, both my parents were educators. They were both teachers. And I saw how hard they worked every, every evening. And I saw them working so hard on Sundays that I knew the last thing I wanted to do was become a teacher. So as a 17 and 18 year old, uh, I, I said, what am I gonna do? And education was not the answer. So I went to McMaster to play soccer, did a phys ed degree at McMaster, played soccer as my, my goal. My ambition was to play pro soccer. In my last year of university, I blew out my knee and I needed to come up with a new plan. So my plan was I couldn't play soccer, maybe I could manage. So I went and did a, a Master's of Sport Admin, a Phys Ed Master's degree at Ottawa U. And through that, I was fortunate to get a placement with Ottawa's pro soccer team that I just started, the Ottawa Intrepid. And I ended up after a year being hired as their general manager. Uh, so that was what I thought my life would be, would be pro soccer. But early on, I realized the there was not a lot of stability in professional soccer in the late 1980s. Uh, and I needed to provide for my family. My wife and I, we had just been married. Uh, We were looking at buying a house. So I needed a backup plan and I went and did a teacher's degree uh, at Ottawa U and I ended up going into teaching. So that's how I started. I got into teaching and my first year, I taught phys ed, one section. I taught religion. I taught grade uh, 12 economics. I taught adult ed. I taught basic math. And I was all over the place and I did one section of computers. And uh, again, we can get all, all over with this intro question, but I had never t- taken a computer course in my life. And the principal said to me, do you want to teach computer programming or do you want to teach Spanish? I need to finish your timetable. And I said to him, I said, John, I, I don't speak Spanish and I don't know computer programming. And he looked at me and he said, I don't think you heard my question. I'm giving you a choice. Which of those two would you like to be? So I, I started teaching uh, computer programming and uh, it turned out to, it was real passion. I had no background in it, but I went and took some courses. And what I really found was students were motivated when you had project-based learning. So that was in the back in the 19, early 1990s, we started using computers and multimedia. There were no discipline problems. Uh, because they were so engaged in the activities. So that's how I ended up getting into education. And from there, I was tapped on the shoulder, I think, by a few administrators and uh, became a vice principal and then a principal of uh, continuing education and adult ESL. Uh, And then I moved. I left the boards to do some cross-cultural training, um, but I had to make a decision. Did I want to go into business or do I want to go into education uh, or go back into education? And it was very profitable, uh, the business side, but I decided I really missed the community of a school. So I came back to school and became a a principal of a a high school downtown Ottawa, and then moved from there to being a superintendent of learning technology. And then as you mentioned in your intro, uh, human resources and uh, then associate director in the last two years as director. So it's been an interesting path, I've certainly, Loved every piece of my education career. So that's a question I often get is, uh, why did you go into leadership? And and we may cover that later. But it's certainly not because I didn't enjoy one of the other positions. I loved being a teacher. I loved being a vice principal. Uh, So I've loved every role I've had. I've been very fortunate. So that's my path to where I am today.
1: I am just absolutely blown away by that first year schedule still. (laughs) so PE, religion... Computers, economics, you're doing everything.
2: Yeah, it was an interesting first year. This this particular school also had an adult ed program. So I was doing a program called Fresh Start, teaching adult eds. Uh, And it was was really a tough way to start a career in education and made me think, is this something I want to do? Uh, And the irony to that question, Chris, is that my degree was phys ed and my passion was sports. And of all the areas that I was teaching, the one that I was the most passionate about didn't turn out to be the phys ed. I still coached. I coached soccer and, and got my passion through t- coaching soccer all while I was a teacher. Uh, but I really found the enjoyment was the computers. And uh, from there, I went into the business courses, entrepreneurship, etc.
1: It really speaks to... Um... You know, I think about uh, young and early career teachers who may get, you know, that one course that they, they maybe were not hoping not to get and how that can be the spark that starts something huge.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I think that when, when someone is teaching just one subject, you may have a, a passion for the subject, but the more you can get interdisciplinary, the better is my personal view, because then you see all the connections. And when you have a student in your particular subject that may not have a passion for your subject like you do you have to find ways of engaging that that student. And often it's another area of passion. So I found that with coaching, that certainly uh, if they were a football player, I could bring in football examples in my activities, or if they were in the drama, we would bring in drama examples. So finding out what the student's passions were as a teacher, uh, I really felt was that way of getting them engaged and finding out that you cared about them first and you cared about your subject second.
0: And this is what we're all about here. like that. That's amazing. Just meeting the students where they are and saying, "Okay, where are you? How can I get you there?" That's that's phenomenal.
1: You know um, what I'm going to say, Vito. Big vibe. That's a big vibe for me. Students first content. I love that. I love it.
0: Uh, and what I what I think was interesting as well is both of your parents were educators, and we've had guests on the show who said, "Yeah, my parents are educators, and I want to do it." And I always jive with them saying, even when you see all the work that they do, you still wanted it. And they're like, yeah, but in your case, you're like, Whoa, no, 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 no. Uh, that wasn't for me. But then you, you found your way in and you just made it, you just made it your passion. Uh, that, that, that's that I picked up on that. That's phenomenal. Uh, so let's, let's, let's dive into it then. So uh, every director ha- has a vision for their board a- and we don't think that vision includes leading everyone through a global pandemic. <laughs> Uh, so first what was your vision for the board and after that like how did COVID 19 change what you needed to do on an administrative level like did it alter or block the vision you originally had
2: well sometimes when it comes to leadership it, it also involves being at the right place at the right time so i would say it's a bit of destiny for me i, I in auto catholic i've been fortunate to work with some very talented senior teams I'll just mention a few names. So directors that I've worked with, Jamie McCracken, Julian Hanlon, and Denise Andre. So I would say that my vision is one of the successes of our board is that we build on the great work of the leaders across our board. So it's not getting rid of everything and and your entire system saying, okay, what are we doing now? What's the new initiative? Where are we going? Uh, It really is no drastic change in direction. It's always been about improvement uh, and finding new iterations to advance our key goals. And in in our board, I was fortunate to be part of the group that shaped our strategic commitments of be well, be innovative and be community. And these just are they're not just sayings. They're not things that are binder on a wall in our board. Uh, So my vision certainly was to build on these. I really wanted to see how we could focus on the well-being for all of our students so that it was seen as equally important as was student achievement. And also not just the students, but our staff, focusing on their well-being, not pretending that they don't have lives at home and they come in and they're robots at school, finding ways to understand that they have lives at home and treating people differently, fairly, but differently uh, to support them. So I would say that was really some of my visions was to continue with those three areas. Uh, and it, it yes, it had to change a little bit because of COVID, uh, however, what I found with COVID, when I came in, there was no rule book, obviously, for a pandemic. We, we had our our plans, and things kept changing. But what we could rely on in our in the Ottawa Catholic School Board were those three strategic commitments, and we really needed them. So when you look at being well, it's not just that physical uh, physical problems or illnesses. Last year, 99% of our staff and students did not contract COVID. Uh, you you'd like 100%, but that just wasn't possible. But I would say almost hundred percent of our staff and students were impacted and that's the mental health side. So they were impacted out of fear, they were impacted out of loved ones and others that were ill and some people did die, uh, not in our board but from family members. So we had to recognize that be well really had to be the first thing. And then the second was be community. When we looked at students that were coming from different marginalized communities, the fact that they didn't have internet, they didn't have computers or devices and, you know, here is a caring board, yet we had thousands of people without devices. They've never had devices. And it took the pandemic to get us to act and to make sure that we could deal with that. Uh, we were doing things early on, like building face shields with our 3D printers. We were finding innovative ways to raise money and to get funds for food. So that be community was so important. And I mentioned the be innovative, that's certainly been a trademark for our board for many years. Uh, I would say growing up as an educator in our board, there was a point where we weren't all that innovative. And that was because we were trying to do everything for everyone. And the view of some of the leaders many, many years ago was that if you couldn't replicate it, we're not going to invest in it. Because if we don't have the money to do it at one school, uh, we're not going to give you the money because we, we can't afford it at 80 schools. And I saw that change over the years when innovation really was let's do it at one school do it with one teacher, see what they can do when you give them a couple thousand dollars and you know whether it's a 3D printer or a kit, robotics kit, uh, and then don't try and replicate it at 83 schools, but give it to other schools that have passionate educators that wanna try it and build on it and make it work for their own school and their own culture. Uh, so that's where I would say, in terms of vision and the pandemic, it's come together. Uh, we, we are continuing in that pathway. It's unfortunate that we have a pandemic but that's the reality and you know you can't feel sorry for yourself you got to just deal with what you're presented with make the best of it and our our a bit of a mantra we said last year and and we really believed in stop aiming for perfection as educators do your best and you're going to find that when you do your best you're going to, you're able to deal with your your well-being so that would that's how I would answer that particular question
1: I really like the idea that it wasn't the vision that changed. It was what the vision was going towards. The vision stayed the same, COVID came in. How, did, how do we keep our vision? How do we keep our identity, our community, our culture? But now we have this thing that's gonna also be something we have to deal with within that. I really think that it shows a, a lot of strength to me.
2: Yeah, and Chris, you're right. When When you can take it away from things that are used to be in binders and or sayings and walls and every board has a mission statement vision statement but most people can't recite them they don't know what they are they don't really mean anything uh it's a checklist item but when you can get some key words or your strategic commitments then people can believe in it and they can see how they fits for them so i'm really pleased with our board and that was uh, through our previous directors and our trustees that moved away from these huge multi-year plans we still have to do them because we're mandated by the ministry but we're focused on those three areas and we give it time. It's not because three years is over, let's throw them out and come up with three brand new words. It's how do we continue to build on them and iterate? And I would say the iteration that's happened in the last few years is really around equity and all areas of equity. Uh, So that's where we're looking at each of those from an equitable lens.
0: And that's wonderful because it's a constant building and you'd be hard pressed to find anyone in uh, the auto Catholic board who doesn't know those strategic commitments either all i got to say is i did not envy any decision maker during the start of the pandemic neither did chris and we've mentioned that here many times like that that is a hard place so uh, uh that's that's wonderful to hear that the vision is still going and being carried and uh let, let's let's keep it let's keep it going um now part of what we're doing with this board and with the Ottawa board is um and this is where we want to dive further into your role as Canadian lead for the new pedagogies of deep learning uh, npdl which is now in 12 countries Uh, So take us through what it is for those educators and boards who don't know what that is and what impact it's had since it's been implemented.
2: Yeah, NPDL is a framework for teaching and learning. And and it was started um, by Michael Fallin. Well, it's continued with Michael Fallin and Joanne Quinn. So they're sort of the key leads. And uh, since I last spoke with you, we're actually up to 14 countries now. So it keeps growing, which is really exciting. Uh, the, The network is really looking at how do you reform education? So reforming public education so that it really matters to students and it make they can make a difference both in their local and global community. So that's sort of a big picture. Another way of looking at is it's learning that sticks for your students. So they're taking concepts and applications that go beyond the test. Uh, I think as educators, we're all frustrated at the end of the year or during the year. If we see a student throw their books away, they're all their notes, they had they throw up in the air because the course is done or it's summertime. You know, that's really frustrating to me as an educator, that you know they're just happy to get rid of that stuff. Or if they memorize for the test, but then you ask them a concept later on in the year and they have no idea what you're talking about. So I think traditional education is still filled with low level facts and memorization. Uh, some of the standardized testing doesn't help as well, because some of it reinforces uh, those low level, low level low level and lower order thinking. But when we look at the framework that Michael Fullan is uh, proposing, and it really is a, a global movement. So we're taking um, a framework that starts with four elements. So the elements are learning partnerships, learning environments, leveraging technologies and then new pedagogies. So as an educator, whether you're new or you're a veteran, you can take any learning activity that you've, you've done in the past or you're creating and build on it from any or all four of those elements. And the second part of it is what the global competencies are, the six C's. Now, the four C's have been around for a long time. But again, they were things that were just up on a wall or on a poster. So you saw creativity and communication and you said, yeah, that's really important for our kids because we're past the year 2000. Well, we're 21 years past the year 2000 and we're still talking about those four C's. So in the six C's, we're looking at not just putting them on a poster, but how do you teach them and measure them? So you're sort of flipping the curriculum around and saying, how will I use my curriculum so that students become better collaborators? They become better citizens, critical thinkers, and more creative. They have better character and communication. Those are the skills that we want our students to have as outcomes. So some people refer to them as soft skills, but we're really looking at them as global competencies. Uh, And if you can develop those global competencies in your students, the other, I think the other change that we're looking at through NPDL or in our board, we just call it deep learning is it's not about creating students so that they're ready for the future. They're ready for college or university. It's about giving them these skills where they're at today. So it's not a portrait of a graduate. It's a portrait of a learner. And that way, if I'm a grade two teacher, I want to help each student in that class get more skilled, yes, in the curriculum, but also in those competencies so that they can start to make a difference in grade two, whether it's in the play yard or it's at home or it's much bigger. Um, I'm gonna give you an example because I know sometimes for people who have never heard of deep learning, it it gets a little confusing. And some people will say to me, it sounds like project-based learning, I've been doing that for years. And they're partially correct. So if I look at, I'm a, a math teacher and I'm teaching a unit on or activity on angles. But I'm also into woodworking and I want to find kids that are get them engaged. So I say, we're going to build birdhouses. I'm going to show you all about angles while we're building these birdhouses. Well, they're going to be excited because they're doing something with their hands. It's hands on and they're going to learn about angles. So that would be a fun, engaging project based learning activity. If I want to energize that and move it into a deep learning activity, I would take those students and I would look at those four elements, any of the elements. So I'll I'll say learning partners. So if we're gonna do building building birdhouses, who are some learning partners we could bring in to help our class with it? So maybe in Ottawa, it's the wild bird sanctuary. So we invite them and we get students to write letters to them or call them, not the teacher, the students. And we say, this is what we're doing. And you're gonna find pretty quickly that people in the community are excited. Even in COVID, they'll still visit and do it virtually. So now they're gonna tell us more about birds and they're gonna tell us about how people can help injured birds. And now I'm gonna get students in my class that say, wouldn't it be great if we could raise some money for that charity? They wanna make a difference in that project. So we then talk about, well, let's take the birdhouses and let's sell them. And someone generates an idea, well, how do we use technology to leverage this activity? Let's do an online auction and and we're gonna tell our parents and our community about it. And now all of a sudden we have brought in learning partners. Our learning environment goes beyond the classroom. We're leveraging technology. My pedagogy is project-based activities and we have our auction the students have learned the math they've learned the angles and they're proud of their birdhouses they're proud of making a difference in in the sanctuary in the bird sanctuary and our learning partnership we're going to go even further because we're now going to take this and we're going to say to our let's say that was a grade seven activity i'm going to match them with a grade four class in the neighboring elementary school and i'm going to have the students when they're done have to explain to the grade four class what they did and why they did it. So whether it was the math part or it was the um, the bird part, and we could extend it further when we have that discussion. And the kids may say, well, let's visit the grade fours and let's get them to paint these so that they're involved. So that would be an example of a deep learn. There's so many possibilities. It really brings in social entrepreneurship. It's exciting for the students, exciting for the staff. And I can talk to students three months later and they're going to remember that project. They're going to be proud of it and they're gonna tell me about the angles that was the the competency or the uh, real area of the teaching unit, but they're gonna learn all kinds of skills and they're gonna develop communication. I'm gonna measure them on their communication. I'm gonna measure them with collaboration. Uh, And it's not about just the mark, it's about making a difference. So that's my explanation for deep learning.
1: Uh, What I really like about that too, is you know that that's a student who when they're in there and they're doing those classes and when they're putting all those connections, enjoying their learning process.
2: Yeah, you're right, Chris, and it's it's any age. So we have deep learning activities starting in kindergarten. So you can walk into a kindergarten class and we have a separate program called Social Entrepreneurship where kindergartens are doing activities like making beads or they're making necklaces, but why are they doing it? They decide on what they're gonna do with them and they're selling them to people to raise money. Often it's animals at that grade level. But it's a kindness unit. You're teaching about how to be kind. They're doing activities. They're learning marketing skills. They're learning sales skills. This is kindergarten, four and five-year-olds. They're learning the technology. They're working with business people. And then they're making a donation to the Humane Society. So it's just so exciting to see and and hear the passion from people. Uh, I think most of your listeners are familiar with Dragon's Den. So yes, it can be Dragon's Den, but it doesn't have to be to that scale. But that's one way of looking at it.
0: And I love the fact that you use that bird house example, because we had Rola Shirani on here, uh, season two. And, and and I think that was actually one of her projects. She took her students for a walk for geography and they noticed a bunch of dead birds in a blasting zone said, why is this happening? And so they brought in the bird sanctuary. They talked about it. They 3d printed some uh, ways to help the birds out. Like it was I, just listening to her, just blew me away. And I, I was, that's why I had to believe um, my classroom beside her because no one wanted to be my classroom after <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's like students will, they do remember that. Like, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. you talk about the
2: dead birds. One, one of the classes last year, I think it was a grade two class. Uh, there was a tree that had fallen during a storm and the, the, there was red spray paint around the tree. the kids came in at recess and they said to the teacher there's a broken tree and there's a red circle around it and the teacher explained to them that that meant they had to cut it down because now it was dangerous and several kids in the class started to cry because they were going to miss this tree being cut down and that morphed into a project that was uh, they connected with a tree planting organization they raised money they they yes some trees were had to be cut down and they planted about a hundred trees more than the cut down it was just fabulous so It took an educator in that class who was willing to say, this is important to the students in my class. And I'm going to find a way to use it to teach whatever the outcomes were that I was going to be doing the next two weeks. But I'm going to abandon my static lesson plan that I had ready, and I'm going to let this go. And it may go a little longer than I planned. So you've got to be a confident educator to be able to say, I'm still going to do the curriculum, but there's some things I might take out. I'm going to use my professional judgment because this is more important and this is important to my students and they're going to make a difference and learn. So I'm not abandoning completely the curriculum, but I'm finding a better way to teach the majority of it.
1: And it really seems to me as though that idea of time almost needs to go out the window because it's not about time. It's about, it's about value. It's about engagement. It's about, I mean, these things that you're talking about are, you know, let's call them what they are. They're amazing. And you know, worrying about, oh, I have to get this done. It's going to get done through this process. I, I, lo- I love it.
2: Yeah, it's it's hard because we know the curriculum in Ontario, For we're, we're in Ontario, you're in Calgary, uh, in Alberta, um, the majority of the Ontario curriculum is overcrowded. Uh, OECD has done some curriculum studies around the world and the majority of the world has overcrowded curriculum because what happens is the politicians get involved And they keep adding to it because there's something that's really current and of of interest to different groups, but they don't stop to take things out. And when you do that, you end up with surface learning. You never get into deep learning because there's way too much to teach. Uh, BC, I think, is one of the the examples that I like to look at. Majority of of their, uh, not not their syllabus, but their outlines are four pages. In Ontario, some of our, our curriculum documents are 50, 60, 70 pages. There's just too much. So you really need to be comfortable and to understand that you do have permission as a teacher to decide which part of that curriculum are major expectations that I have to to address and teach and which ones no one's going to miss if I take it out. And by taking it out, I can go deeper into the learning and it will be more engaging. But it's tough because it's permission-based and you need to be comfortable and not feel guilty that you're not doing something. And that's also where if you can get your mindset away from, you're not preparing someone for the next year, you're preparing them for today. So just deal with your grade. And you're always gonna have students that are multiple levels in every grade level. So whether they're in grade four and they're working at grade three or working in grade five, uh, you always just have a skilled educator that will address them all. And in high school, when we get into the credits, yes, there's certain math courses that there's certain concepts you need to get from one grade to the next but you can still make that math meaningful and not make it memorizing formulas.
0: And you see that a lot with math teachers, uh, not only in Ontario and our board, but also in Alberta uh, as well. Where that's okay. What are, what are our big rocks that we actually need to cover? And what can we just kind of let slide? Because really it's, it is overcrowded. And you look at other more success, uh, the yeah, other successful math programs on the world, Japan has a very limited math scope, for instance, and they focus narrow and deep. <laughs> Uh, And and I I love what you're saying. Just take stuff out. What's going to work for these students? Where are they right now? Let's meet them there and not say we're here to prepare you for next year, next year, next year. Because where does it end, right? Uh, That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, Chris, you getting these notes? It's going to be a hard one for those Paulson
1: points today. I know that for a fact.
0: Well, we're going to make it even more difficult for you because now we're going to we'll, we'll jump to the topic of leadership here. Now, we, we have this wonderful person with us. We we need to tap him for what we can. So there are many educators right now listening to this podcast who are considering taking on bigger leadership roles. And whether that's curriculum leader, department head, administrator, or some kind of uh, role in their, their respective communities. So what skills can they develop or work on now that will be critical if they take on that role? Because... Some skills that you currently develop for your current role don't always translate to uh, another leadership role.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I, and I think in in education, we're fortunate because there are some natural stepping stones. And whether it's from teacher to VP to principal or it's curriculum leader, uh, those are the formal positions. I'll start by answering it from the formal side. But I, I'm a strong believer that informal leadership is just as important as formal leadership. Uh, but if I look at the uh, formal positions, the one skill that I think doesn't come naturally to most people in education that are looking to progress in their career is how to deal with adult conflict so that when you take on more leadership opportunities we're all pretty good at dealing with students as educators you know most people were very good teachers they had good classroom management skills but then all of a sudden when you're in a formal role and you're dealing with two adults in your building that are in conflict or you're dealing with parents in conflict with a teacher, or a vice principal in conflict with another vice principal. uh, That's when it gets hard. And I would say that's an area that is missing right now in the education side is not learning just communication skills, because you'll take a course and you'll learn how to paraphrase and you're listening, uh, but you're not really necessarily looking at how do you deal with adult conflict. So it goes beyond the courageous conversations and it really is learning skills, taking courses and practicing it and reflecting so that you get better at resolving conflict. The number one strategy people have for dealing with conflict is avoidance. And if you become a vice principal or principal, one of your key roles is is building culture in your school. And if you avoid conflict and you have two staff that are in conflict, it's going to carry on and carry on and it's going to get worse and worse. And people know that's happening. Uh, So you're much better to deal with it, but you've got to deal with it not from an authoritarian position that I'm the principal, so you're going to stop this now. It's got to be from a point of view of let's look at where the common interests are and how can we resolve this conflict so that we're working together and what are the strategies we can use. So that's a a key area I would say for people to intentionally try and get better at as they go through different leadership roles. I, I would say watch other leaders and ask questions. So you need to constantly build your network and ask yourself and reflect do you want to be a leader informally or formally and if you say I, your answer is, I want to be a leader because I know the pay grid is higher than it was in my previous role. Uh, that may be true, um, but you're going to find that that's a challenge if that's your motivation for going into leadership, because if, it, if it's only ex- extrinsic rewards, you're going to burn out and you're not going to enjoy the job. So there have to be intrinsic rewards to leadership that want, that really drive you to go on to do more courses, get more certifications, Uh, and take on some of those challenges um, for you to to, to really like it. Because with that leadership will come stress. And that's another important skill that you have to work on. Uh, Big picture is don't sweat the small stuff. You need to find ways to find joy and laughter every day in the little things that happen. And then move away, as I said earlier, from perfection to being comfortable with your best effort. And it sounds easy, but it's not. And those are the skills I would say that make a difference in some of the really strong leaders that I've seen that seem to be resilient, can bounce back after tough situations in their school, uh, and others, it just eats away at them. So they're they're the ones that are not sleeping at night. They're going home after dealing with a stressful situation and it keeps them up and they're waking up in the middle of the night. They dread going into work um, and it's a real challenge because there are tough situations every day as as a leader, but you're so fortunate to be able to lead. So if you view it as a privilege, uh, then all of a sudden your approach is a little bit different and you start to laugh. There's so many funny things that happen in education. That, I mean, whether it's educators that say or do strange things or it's uh, kids that say funny things, you know, just, just having recognizing that you don't have to be straight faced your whole life. And yeah, maybe you're gonna have to wear a suit now and a tie depending on your board, but that doesn't mean that you can't have fun and play practical jokes with one another and enjoy getting going to work every day. Uh, so that's really important. That would be my uh, my area. And the, I guess the last one of leadership that's a tough one to teach or to get better at, it's common sense. And unfortunately, <laughs> common sense is not all that common. Uh, so it's a, it's a characteristic that I would say comes often with good emotional intelligence. Uh, but sometimes people get caught up in policies and they forget about common sense and intuition that are really vitally important for for leaders Uh, so the more you can develop that common sense working in the gray and not work on the too far ends and always sticking with policies I think the better you'll be as a leader
1: one of the things I really picked up on too when you were talking there uh three times you actually said it was the word reflection and that's been something that, uh, you know, whenever we have people on who just give us these master classes like you are right now, that, that word comes up time and time and time again, that reflection piece on what we're doing, whether it be the teacher in the classroom or the informal leader or the formal leader, that always shines through. They're really good reflectors on what they're doing.
2: Yeah. And if you're an A-type personality, you need to build it into your schedule. So you build in on your calendar, on your Google calendar, here's 30 minutes where I'm going to reflect on last week's activities, or I'm going to build in something that took place. So you, you're right, because it will get replaced with something else if you don't. Uh, and not only reflection, but going back to your earlier question when I talked about wellness, uh, you've got to come to grips with you're not going to be well if all you do is work. So you got to build time to go home. Uh, build time so that you're not there till 10 PM every single night. Uh, yes, sometimes you might have to be because there was a real crisis that took place. But everything else can wait, and it'll still be there in the morning, and it may not be exactly the timeline you were hoping for. Uh, but uh, as a as a leader in the system, you can't lead if you can't take care of yourself. So you, you're going to have to find outlets that work for you. And uh, you know, we talked we laughed early on about hockey, but for me, that's my outlet. That's my yoga. So I'm I'm fortunate that I can go from work and go to a, a hockey game and be working at the hockey game but i'm not thinking of anything but hockey i'm doing stats and i'm doing different jobs at at the rink uh, but that's my outlet and if i didn't have that outlet i would probably replace it with work so it's good to have those those passions and whatever whatever you can do so that you're you're well balanced and i wouldn't want people to think that it has to be a formal position because we have outstanding teachers eces eas office administrators caretakers all the roles are important and many choose not to do something different and but they're strong leaders in their school and they're shaping the culture in their school they're the go to people they're coming up with innovative ideas so the informal leaders are just as important as the formal leaders uh, it doesn't necessarily come with the titles or some of the perks but it comes with the recognition of knowing you're making a difference in your school and your school's better because you being there.
0: And especially when you mention office administrator, you walk into any school, that head office administrator, you know that they're the ones who actually run the school. (laughs) Everything goes through them. They know everything that's going on. They have all the real power. (laughs) If you've been in a school long enough, you know that that's the case.
2: Um, Well, they're, they're also customer service, right? So when you look at office administrator, they have the ability to set the tone for that student that's coming in. So if that student is greeted with a, a cheerful hello and how can I help you? Versus a, can't you see how busy we are? Sit down. You know, that makes a big difference for that student as well. So our office administrators can impact the, the tone of the classroom because that student can be upset or can be calmed by the first person that they meet. Um, I'll, I'll just a quick sidetrack if you don't mind one, but I remember walking into a school and uh, i was a superintendent and the three vice principals were at the front door as kids were walking in and they had their clipboard and they were checking for kids that they didn't get to yesterday for skipping or for missing detentions and they were nailing kids as they came in and i reflected on what a terrible practice that that strategy was it was one of efficiency But now a student who was in trouble the day before is being greeted by an administrator to say, why weren't you at detention? You've got two more and now you've ruined that student's day instead of engaging them. Uh, And I I don't know in the end, I'm hoping that that practice changed, uh, but I know for me as a principal, the most important thing and something that I hear from students that were in my schools many, many years ago, that they remember was I greeted them every day at the door. So I stood at the door and if I didn't have a meeting first thing in the morning, I said hello to students. And if there was a student that I needed to see that was in trouble, I would still greet them with a smile and say, you know, whatever, Chris, I'm gonna to need to see you later, I'll see you period three, but go and enjoy period one and I'll talk to you later. Uh, so they needed to know that we were treating them as people, as humans, and we wanted them at school. There still might have to be discipline, uh, but that was such an important thing. So those leaders could have such an impact with are you making people feel comfortable? Or are you making them feeling like, I don't belong and I don't fit? So Sorry, I jumped ahead of your No, next that's question. good
0: because we had an, uh, a principal on our show, Danny Talk, um, who would bring students into his office just to chat and say hi because he hated the idea that you always got to the principal's office because you were in trouble. There was a discipline issue. And for him, you want to create that community. It's like, no, you need some toes. Let's chat. How's it going? We're going to have a good day today. I, I really want you to have a good day today. So go to it. you know. And he sends them off on a good note. And then the other piece you mentioned is to have something that fills you uh, afterwards. That's not work related. I know for him. He went and played guitar in bars and you know, was, has is a rock star and, has <laughs> yeah, and yep. had a beer named after him, to be honest, has <laughs> like, a beer named after him, but uh, that, that's what filled him. He would leave school and he would go do this and then he'd come back and, and he'd run it. Um, and, and so I love the fact that you mentioned that, like, you know, you do these stats for the NHL cause that calms you. Um, but uh, you know, my, my follow up to that, I guess, is you have quite the responsibilities. Are you able to turn off your your director role when you're you leave the office for the day? Are you to like, or is it always on the back of your mind? Like, uh, when you have a holiday, you're like, "Yep, yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm I'm fully present." Like, have you honed that ability in this new? Yeah,
2: I, I have to work on it. um I, I did uh, last year. I worked with an executive coach to help me focus on my own wellness. So, those are all my own areas of how can I improve. Um, so, certainly, my fitness needs to be improved. My eating habits need to be improved. My sleep patterns need to be improved. So, it's reflecting and then trying to make turn them into action items. So, I would say I know it's a deficit, something I need to keep working on, uh, but I'm conscious of it. So, I do. I do uh, shut off, I am able to sleep every night. I don't have that problem at all. Um, But for me, one of the things that I'm fortunate with in my career is I I love to read and I love education, I love reform, I love leadership. So that's another way for me to sort of decompress is reading within my passions and my passions are what I'm doing. So I'm really lucky that I can grab a book and read about leadership or, or communication or conflict management. I can do a lot of professional learning and certificate programs. Um, and those are things that will help me. I, I deal with a lot of conflict, so I have to deal with people that aren't happy for all kinds of different reasons, whether it's a parent or a staff member. And you got to treat them respectfully, and they don't—they don't always get the outcome they want. So you have to find ways to let people know that you have heard them, and there are there may be reasons you can't do it, what they're asking for. Uh, so yeah, it's a veto. Uh, you know, it's something I need to keep working on, and I think a lot of leaders do. Some people are good at running and they, uh, you know, I, I was an athlete many, many years ago and I had those soccer dreams, but they're well beyond me now. Uh, so I have to find ways to, to build that routine and to make, make sure that I'm well so I can uh, support others as well.
0: So let's, let's, let's get to it then. In your opinion, what do you think educators should be unapologetic about in their practice?
2: Uh, I would say educators should be unapologetic about working in the gray. Uh, That came out early as well. So you need rules, and rules are important to have structure, but you should never be apologetic about working just outside the areas of the rule. So within reason. Um, When you you do that, that's how you get new ideas that emerge. You can find space for those students or staff that don't fit within the traditional school structure. So you should also be unapologetic about treating people differently. So we recognize that You know, if you take an equity lens to your work, there are going to be some people that need different supports. So it doesn't have to be the exact same rule for everyone in class or everyone on my staff. Um, And that might mean a student that comes to class 10 minutes late, you may not send them to the office because you've said in your head, I'm going to send that student to the office because they're 10 minutes late. And now they're going to sit there for a half hour to meet with someone and get sent back up to my class. They've missed the activity but I'm going to say to them, welcome, I'm glad you're here. And I'm going to try and find a time to talk to them afterwards. And that might not be the same rule for everyone, but it's still a student that I'm trying to engage and using that 10 minute example, I could have a staff member, if I'm a principal or vice principal that says to me, you know, I've got someone at home that my daughter or son's sick. Is it okay? If I leave 10 minutes early at the end of the day, Uh, you know, I, I just need to get home. And if my rule is you need to be there right to the bell, because look at all the problems that would cause. What about your kids? Who's gonna watch them? Um, If I did it for you, I gotta let everyone else on staff go home 10 minutes early. But if instead I look at how can I help this person? They need my help. And yeah, I'm gonna say to them, you go ahead, I'm gonna cover your class. Or yeah, do you have someone in mind that can take your class for 10 minutes? And it may be outside all the rules of the contract, the rules of the, the school, but it's a gray area. You're not doing it every single day. You're finding exceptions. So I think people that can work that way should never apologize for working just outside the rules. And there's, as I say, there's gotta be some boundaries. So it doesn't mean it's a free for all and you're doing whatever you want and you're not teaching the curriculum and you're showing up when you want, uh, you know, and you're you're putting safety at risk by taking kids on field trips and you haven't done a swim test. You, you know, you, you can't do some things. So, so there are some boundaries you have to follow. Uh, But never be apologetic for making exceptions, and that comes into that common sense. If you've got common sense, sometimes the rules shouldn't fit. And if you become a leader that hides behind policies, uh, you're not going to move your system. You're not going to move your school because everyone's going to know what the rules are. They'll stick to it. You'll never get anything else done. Uh, And you'll, you'll see that from principals who work extremely well with their staff. If there's something going on and they need help, They're going to get tons of volunteers. They're not going to get people to say, well, no, that would go over my minutes of supervision. Sorry, I can't help you out. There's going to be a protest after school. I'm not going to help you. Others are going to say, what can I do to help? They'll come to you and say, you know, you've had my back in the past. I'm going to have your back now. So that's what you get when you work just outside the rules.
0: I love that. Uh, Vito. Chris.
1: Vito, I'm looking at the sundial, my ancient sundial behind me right now. And you know what it's telling me? It's telling me, my friend, that it is Poulsen Poulsen points time. Time. Oh, uh, listeners, tonight we had the absolute pleasure of listening to Tom D'Amico. And if you're anything like me, you were just a sponge learning tonight. Um, We have these Poulsen points. And I just loved I, I could I could have a hundred of them right now. I have notes just filling pages here. But number one, my friends, schools are communities and they should draw us in. They should be places that draw us in. and I love that. Um, teachers, educators, leaders, everyone listening, when you when you are not afraid to branch out, that's when you're going to find some real passions that you may have not even realized you had. One of the things I really love tonight, whatever your role is, build on the great work of others. Build on the great work of others. There's been so many amazing leaders and teachers and, and school staff that have come before us. We we don't need to reinvent everything. Build on the great work of others. My friends, and, and another huge one here, Vito, ask ourselves... How can we go beyond and, and, and make big impacts and make change and make difference, you know, in what we're doing and in the lives of our students and in what they're going to do? And our last Pulsan point of the night, I and I really, this one really hit me, uh, I, I guess in the heart. Um, informal leadership is just as important as formal leadership. There are people in those buildings at every different role who are go-to people and they're doing amazing things but Vito, there's more and you knew this was coming this was the big vibe extravaganza big vibe number one students first subjects second students first i love it and 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 tom and i was like i was thinking to myself for this next one oh do i try to do that too much big vibe number 2 don't try to be everything to every. um and 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 our next big vibe how can we use the curriculum to build global competencies when we're going into our planning when we're planning as as a school as a, you know as our departments as individual teachers how can we do that um and then it's um we we have to yep. I had to add a new category tonight had to add a new category new category these, these wow. are the huge vibes These are the huge vibes, Vito, and you said two things tonight, Tom. The first one was, it's not a portrait of a graduate, it's a portrait of a learner. I think that's something worth taking a lot of time to think about in our practice. And educators, find joy and laughter in the little things. Find joy and laughter in the little things because this is truly a blessing of a job we get to do and there is some truly wonderful things that happen and it don't ever let that get away from you. And educators out there, be unapologetic about working in the gray, within reason and with boundaries. New ideas come from it. Being welcoming comes from it. Treating people with an equity lens comes from that. Tom D'Amico, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Um, Vito and I both really, really appreciate it. I know our listeners do, and it was just a fantastic opportunity to hear you speak tonight.
2: Well, my pleasure, Chris and Vito. Thanks for the invitation. I love, love talking about education, obviously. And uh, you had some great probing questions. And we'll have to do another time where we talk about sports.
0: Oh, uh, absolutely, absolutely, and. I really appreciate you being on here. I know a busier schedule is, so thank you again. Uh, And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unapologist podcast. Join us next week when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off.
2: Just podcast.